like to think that the Balthazar in this play is the same Balthazar from Romeo and Juliet. I think it goes without saying that Balthazar is Shakespeare's favorite character. I think we should always assume that all characters with the same name in Shakespeare plays are either the same person or twins who were separated ever. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing that's grim, nothing ah, that's Greek. Again, she plays Medea later tonight. this week. Stunning <laughs> surprises, <gasps> cunning disguises. There's no disguises. Nothing in this portentous play. or polite. Tragedy tomorrow. Comedy, comedy, of comedy, errors. comedy, of comedy. Errors. Of errors tonight. Actually. Did you know that, <laughs> hi, this is tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast called What You Will. I'm Charlotte Aline. And I'm Danielle Cohen. Actually, did you know that uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum and Comedy of Errors are both based on plays by the Roman playwright Plautus. I guarantee you nobody knew that. But you know what? They're better people now that they do. You're now welcome. that they know that, aren't you going to do a lot with that information? So useful. This is a podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. Today, we're doing the second part of our discussion about a play called The Comedy of Errors. Yes. What did you think of The Comedy of Errors again some more? Oh, some more again? Um, my, honestly, I think really, the biggest... A play that you can really do a very deep dive on. It's just, there's so much there, so rich. There's so much subtext. <laughs> um, like with most Shakespeare, just all the subtext. Um, no, I think, uh, I think one thing that we didn't really, like, like talk about enough mm-hmm. is the fact that nobody stops to be like, but they're twins. Maybe there are just two of them. Like if, if you're searching for twins, what are the telltale signs the twins are about? The, I mean, that's really the, at the end of the play when um, Aegean, who is a uh, twin daddy, he's the daddy of both Antiphili and he knows about the Dromeos because he purchased them as babies, which is deeply upsetting. And he's like, hey, there's you, my son, to the wrong Antiphilus of Ephesus. And that Antiphilus is like, I don't know who you are. I like, never knew I was, my father. I was so expecting that moment to be like, oh my gosh, then I found you. But instead he's just like, I know it's been five years, but it's me. I just look worse because I'm old now. And he's like, no, still don't know you. And he's like, hmm. And Adriana's just told this whole crazy story about how the Antiphilus she was talking to didn't know who she was. And I was so ready for him to, like, reveal everything. To him to be like, oh, hey, remember earlier in the play when I gave that excruciatingly long monologue about how I had twins and I chose to name my identical twins after the other half of the pair of identical twins that got lost. Like, that was a choice he made. And that he's aware enough of that he talked about no. it not an hour and a half before. Baffling. So, I just also, wanted to make sure that we really, really thought about that one. Also baffling that the entire end of this play is just Shakespeare being like, shit, 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 what should I do now? I guess just have people recap the entire play that just happened. Which is amazing because it's not inherently a that interesting a choice. It could just be very boring, like yeah. we're telling you what happened. Um, 
But it is kind of a, a tour de force chance if you theoretically have cast like amazing comedic actors in this play. Because if you haven't, I why are you doing this play? Um, but then it's a chance for the Adriana and the, her husband Mary Kate to just be like, <laughs> "Here's everything," and do. I I kept thinking of it as um betrayed from the producers like where he just like <gasps> yeah does the whole play and it's this amazing moment and My when i saw a dying ember you can't you know you can't say the title as a musical theater i, I like that me. also we're only referencing nathan lane musicals in this particular are there any others uh da, 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 da. What are you doing now? I don't know. Just making sound. No, keep talking. The end monologues were. No, I think it's just it's just a chance for for a real real comic to to make something of it, or for somebody who you shouldn't have cast, you can tell because the play will die. Yeah, Adriana. I mean, Adriana has to be funny for the and Luciana. They're both they're deceptively difficult parts to play, I would say. Yeah. Wait, weren't you telling me about a production where the Adriana and her husband, like, tried to one-up each other oh, in that the, moment? My mom, yeah. Yes. Um, when my mom played Adriana. Um, yes, the two the two recaps at the end of the play, they uh, both kind of were competing for audience applause by trying to make it, like, even faster and more heightened and more extreme with the retelling. Because the audience has been there for the whole plot. They know what happened in the play. So that has got to just be a comedic tour de force yeah. or nothing. And I will say it is it does have a lot of funny moments. Like as far as a comedy like act 5 which often dragged to a halt. Yeah. Um I do think this one has a lot of options for funny like wait, you said this, you said this, you said this. Um if it's yeah. fast. It's either it has that to be fast. it's either that or it's the proverbial you know like those like comedies from like the 60s where the whole third act is just a chase scene but it's like kind of slow because it's like sure not you're looking at me with confusion I, and I don't fear know can you give me your, in your you eyes. give me a title the, well okay like how about the movie version of a funny thing happened on the way to the forum where they just kind of like cut most of the end of the musical and instead there's like a merry chase through the town yeah sure like give it give us a few doors give us just yeah it's a real door slammer of a of a silly it's, it's farce. It's a noises off act, whatever. I mean, I, I hand it to Shakespeare. It is a tightly crafted comedy. It There's is. It's funny. Again, I think the other thing flat. is I went into this not expecting it to be that funny. And I started reading the first scene with my favorite character, the Duke. Um, and um, a GN. And I was like, oh, this is boring. He's just telling me exposition. But by like act three or so, I was like, oh no, like this is, there's, there's comedy here. I guess. In there. Surprise. Yeah. I mean, you do have to have funny actors. It's not an actor-proof play. No. By any means. Not at all. But especially, I think um, the Dr. Pinch stuff can be deadly unless oh, you have a yes. funny Dr. Pinch. Oh, yes. Don't Dr. Pinch at all! So when um, Mary-Kate of Ephesus and Dromeo of Ephesus, um, everyone thinks that they're losing their minds because they won't pay for this gold chain and also insist that they, in fact, uh, never received it. And so Adriana brings in this quack doctor, Dr. Pinch, who basically just tortures them. I mean, Shakespeare also repeatedly throughout his plays thinks it is hilarious for someone to be like shoved into a dark room and pinched <laughs> and burnt. <laughs> and I think later on we get characters who have a little more of a like complicated nuance response to like pranks that have gone too far, like Malvolio or even Falstaff kind of respond like, oh, wow. 
that made that me, fucked me up that, for a second. Like I'm a little traumatized now. But in this one, it's just kind of like, hey, torture. It's fun. Well, and Dolpha doesn't doesn't one of the fucking sets of Dromeo has to emphasis and emphasis is emphasis Dromeo. Don't the two of them end up like turning the tables and like torturing him off stage there's a line there's a line saying that um they like rise up against mary kate slash antiphilus of ephesus is being i think it's cut with scissors or like nipped with scissors by his man so there's just like this very small line that acknowledges that like ephesus dromeo the first chance he gets to like psychologically and physically torture his master he's gonna take it and i can't blame him yeah because his life is a, a misery. And also, he's he's the worst of the Antipholes. He's the worst of the Antipholes, and I I do think we Antifles. mentioned the Antipholes. <laughs> <The> Antipholes. <laughs> we mentioned this um, in our part one discussion, which but, of course you, which remember. of course you you listen to every night before bed, and then you <laughs> you've just been waiting for this half. You you say good night to a, a picture of us you found online <laughs> and printed out and taped over your teddy bear. Like creepy. Um. Don't discourage our fans, Danielle. I mean, I I don't. Um, but they are different. Shakespeare has written the personalities of the twins to be different. So that yeah. even if you were to do this play with... Sometimes they do it with one actor playing... Or, or, you know, one Antiphilus and one Dromeo playing both sets, which I don't know how they handle that I was going to say, scene. that end scene's going to be... There have rough. been productions that have done that, though. Yeah, but I was thinking about it during the show. I was like, oh, you could totally do that for most of the play. And there are some productions that use actual twins. I mean, they're few and far between. But I think even if you... Twins if, aren't real. Twins aren't real. I mean... I've never met one. <laughs> let's all disabuse ourselves of the notion that twins are real. Yeah, come um, on, guys. Twins? But, really? <laughs> silly. But even if you we have just that... just mail from twins. I think uh, twins are enemies. That's the hill I'm willing to die on. No, we love you, all twins. All, all twins. All twins are wonderful. Twins, clones, just whoever you are. <laughs> um... <laughs> Great. Okay, we're just just alienating our, our the large twin contingent of our fan base. <laughs> the, the twin de- demographic. We're gonna have to alienating <laughs> the twin demographic. We're gonna have to do like a special twin segment. But I well, I think even twins will admit that they are each individual hey, people. You can't spell twin without win or twin. <laughs> Um, or in. <laughs> yep. Uh, or backwards, it's mute. <laughs> the hard-hitting scholarly commentary on Shakespeare the people that came you crave. For. Okay, I'm sorry, The mineral twins. that you crave. The mineral being us talking complete goof nonsense <laughs> into your ears nonsense. about nothing. What I was going to say I'm, is that I've died. It's funny. It's a comedy. Um, but that the the twins are, there are individuals, which yes. I mean, maybe I shouldn't be giving Shakespeare so much credit for making two twins different people because of course twins are different people. But um, especially Antiphilus of Ephesus is like a complete douche canoe. And Antiphilus of Syracuse is like a little more jocular, but still kind of an ass. Dromeo of Syracuse is like the most fun guy in the play, even though he's fat phobic and cruel. 
And Dromeo of Ephesus is kind of the moral center and, and the saddest. And the, the, set, the Dobby, the house elf. Yes. And I will say it's a little, it's interesting because I, I think that there's this weird line that gets walked um, in the writing of the play where the characters are all, as we've discussed a lot at this point, um, De- deceptively distinctive, if yeah. you really read carefully. Um, but the comedy has a lot of the same rhythms, no matter who's doing it. Where it'll be like either one of the Antiphili, um, also Balthazar. Like really, mm-hmm. anytime someone bounces into comedy world, it gets this like specific rhythm that is yeah. sort of vaudevillian, um, and it kind of doesn't matter who's doing it. Just in the same way that like Adriana and her husband essentially have two monologues that are the same monologue back to back. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter that she's a woman or that he's a man or that, that they're both very different. Um, I think there's something kind of fun about that because it kind of feels like what's happening is they're signposting like this is a bit. Find mm-hmm. a way to do a bit. It doesn't matter who you are. Make it funny. Yep. And you'll see when the bit's over and you can jump back into the play. Um, but it, it really <laughs> lends itself to sort of a clowning or, a, or oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, I also think clowning is probably the best way to go because there's so much beating that happens in the play, yeah. which can be upsetting um, or hilarious if it's all just like pratfalls and, and physical comedy. I mean, yeah, you really have to pick a lane and either do Danielle's delightful, fun, vaudeville-inspired clown production where everything is in like a zany cartoon world or my kind of joyless trudge Capitalist. through the to- toils <laughs> of the proletariat. Yeah. Um, you know, pick a lane. Pick a lane. Um, it's hard to do both of those plays. <laughs> Once, it is but hard. Good luck. I do. I do. No, I, I genuinely think that clowning is the way to go if you want your comedy of errors to, to be, be a comedy. Yeah. I mean, you can probably still tug at a few little threads in there. Um, I think another. And, and you should, regardless. There's stuff you, you have to engage um, with, regardless. A few, like, you know, we should feel for Dromeo, especially Dromeo of Ephesus. We should kind of feel for Adriana. Ephesus? Ephesus? Um, and we should even kind of feel for Luciana in that weird way of she's she's fighting against herself by supporting asshole men all the time um but I think it's it's interesting that at the end of the play Syracuse Antiphilus says to his Dromeo embrace thy brother there rejoice with him and then he and his brother just don't have a moment at all. Oh, that's true. Like the Antiphili just go off stage and they're both kind of like interested in, well, Syracuse Ashley of Mary-Kate and Ashley is interested in pursuing Luciana, the hot, not feminist sister. And um, (laughs) Ephesus Mary-Kate is interested in getting his life back in order and his possessions and straightening out his debts. And the Duke just wants the tea. The Duke just wants the tea. Um, yeah, like he, but he wants to get like back to his house and the things he owns. And, you know, they're just both sort of more concerned with like their status in the end. Or, I mean, that's one reading of it. You certainly, you could build you in could a, a moment a of, if you want. of an awkward I hug. That's fine. Um, also, like if you don't have uh, Ephesus Antiphilus being like an 80s businessman with an oversized cell phone who's constantly like, buy, sell, then what are you even doing? Yeah, what are you I doing? I don't know. Um, but then the Dromeos have like a much more sincere moment at the end, which mm-hmm. is like very nice and kind of undercuts this it's weirdly a pro-clown show, because in so many of Shakespeare's plays, the clowns are the poor people or the servants. Or even the assholes, as or in the even case the of, like, a parolist who's, like, not quite a clown, but clown adjacent. 
mine enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where the drone, the clowns like get to have a nuanced emotional moment, moment at the end, which is nice. And especially, um, we talked a little about how that moment is is kind of sweet, and they decide that they'll exit hand in hand because they don't know which one of them is the older, so they're going to treat each other as equals and brothers. Um, but also that Ephesus Dromeo says to his brother, and Ephesus Dromeo is um, the one whose life is much sadder, although he is married to Nell, and we have to assume that Nell is a supportive wife. Yeah, and just like bomb in bed. Oh, I mean, I think that just like a great, a great (laughs) sexual and romantic chemistry. I think Nell's sexual prowess can be assumed. Yeah, she's of all of the Shakespearean characters, I'm willing to stake Nell in the top. 10 best lays. I also didn't mention this last time, but Syracuse Dromeo does call her a fat friend. But I like that Ephesus Dromeo, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't respond to that. He's not like, don't call my wife fat. He's just like, yes, my wife is fat and I love her. He yeah. doesn't say that, but I assume that it's that's implied. He it's heavily implied Wait, by the fact that he says nothing. I was going to say that um, what he does say is to his brother, methinks you are my glass and not my brother. I see by you I am a sweet-faced youth. Will you walk in to see their gossiping? And then they have this conversation. Also, like, will you walk in to see their gossiping? I just don't think we're spending enough time on these lines. <laughs> <laughs> will you walk in to see their gossiping? That's the activity that they're will doing. Will you walk in to see their gossiping? <laughs> That's what I'm going to say to everyone anytime I go into a party now. Um, but I think you can... Well, we both had different interpretations of that line. Mine was, it's this kind of beautiful moment of this beaten down, abused Dromeo of Ephesus saying, like wow looking at you I see that I really am like a, a beautiful sweet faced young man and that's something that I don't recognize in myself enough which was so beautiful and when she told me that I was like wow because I read it as like oh wow we look so much alike and hey I'm not bad looking after all like I just viewed it as like a silly <laughs> silly moment of like yeah I'm a sweet faced youth if I do say so myself in Danielle's <laughs> dream production of this play it says everyone is played by Groucho Marx <laughs> it's like 90 Groucho Marx yucking it up about the stage and in mine it's like set in Soviet Russia yeah yeah so you know <laughs> or rather come see our our, you know, our in rep two productions of comedy rather, imperial Russia mm-hmm. on the eve of the Russian revolution yeah. which I think is what Shakespeare would have wanted I think it's really it's close to his original <laughs> intent um yeah, yeah. Nothing that's great. Nothing that's Greek. She plays Medea later this week. Hello, we are here with Luke Jackson, who's going to talk to us today about a little play called The Comedy of Errors. So, Luke, who are you and how do you come to be in our living room? <laughs> Hello. Um, that's such... Hello! Uh, <laughs> it's, wait, just for a visual there, he said hello, facing his face away from the microphone because it's snowing outside. He turned his whole Which... head and torso away from the microphone. We redirected him gently. It was so gentle. I, I already said it's my first podcast, <laughs> so forgive me. So um, Luke, who are you? Who am I? I would like to say... I'm a citizen of humanity. Great. Love um, that. You know, as, Same. as we all Not an should alien. be. Um, but, Not free owls wearing a trench um, coat. I, I am a performing artist here, and I work for a couple activist committees. 
Ooh, which activist committees? Um, Theater of the Oppressed, NYC. You should check them out. Awesome. And Young New Yorkers, which is a prison reform for um, teenagers. That's so cool. Hell yeah. Uh, thank you. And I'm here because I went to college with Danielle. Yes. And yeah. So, Luke, uh, you actually have thoughts and feelings about Comedy of Errors, which is not something that everyone can say. I have so many. So, can you you tell us a little bit about, like, your relationship to Comedy of Errors? How do you come to know this play? Have you known it biblically? Who did this play to you? Um, Can you point to where this play touched you? (laughs) Comedy of Errors is the only Shakespearean play I have ever been in. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. It might be the I reason. I saw him in it. It might be the reason I've never done <laughs> another Shakespearean play. Um, it was an experience. Great. I, I don't know. So I was 18 when I did it, and I came from, like, you know, Rust Belt America. And I, we didn't do Shakespeare in high school at all because... Public education, like, why do we need the art? <laughs> um, so when I got to college, I had, like, this imposter, like, a syndrome complex. And so I'm cast in a Shakespeare show. I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I, I know. I understand what Shakespeare is. And I didn't. So we did... Com- Comedy of Bears was on the playbill, let's say that. Okay. And Can you tell us why we're... we're what this joke is that yes, you and I are in I will, on? I will gladly yes. do so. He said it in Mardi Gras, and instead of just oh, doing... which actually, after reading it, makes a lot of sense. It does. I have, I, in retrospect, whatever it is, like six or seven years later, give that man way more credit than I did at the time. But let's take that credit away, <laughs> because not, he said in Mardi Gras, good idea, sure, mm-hmm. interesting. And then he, what's the word when you take out all the words and put in your own? Just re rewrote. <laughs> rewrote. He rewrote the play with various <laughs> quotes from various Shakespearean plays. Yeah, what? it's and like he didn't trust the comedy of comedy of errors, which, like you know, there are reasons for feeling that way. But then instead of of that, he just was like, "What if I just threw in a line from every famous Shakespeare play just around?" Yeah, so there was like... Um, oh yeah, there were like, like three girls that were the witches? Yeah, he just added in the weird sisters. Sorry, what? Like, not only like... Just, <laughs> but they were just dressed in like period Mardi Gras. Yeah, it wasn't even like, oh, and They Tiflis, weren't witches. It's not like, oh, and Tiflis is just going to say this line now. He just actually put bodies on the stage who don't belong there and was like, you're the witches, but you're going to be wearing beads. And I was like, why? That's really baffling. And, Meanwhile, all of this is happening when corn-fed Luke Jackson is on stage. Been like, I'm merchant number two, and I belong here, and this this is what Shakespeare is. This is acting school, and I understand it all. Well, let's transition to talking about yeah, the, actual the actual play. play. Because I, I think, man, reading this play, full disclosure podcast audience, um, it's very early in the morning. We're all drinking coffee. I'm very tired. Um... I don't really know how to approach it. Luke, what was your first thought the first time you read this play? Yes. Well, the, if you remember. the first time I read this play was a No Fear Shakespeare. Aww. And at the ripe age of 18. Because he didn't have what you will to explain <laughs> it to him. <laughs> so I literally just read the modernized text so I could understand what was going on. And I was like, this is funny enough i suppose 
I don't know. I just thought it was, and I guess you could apply this to all Shakespearean shows, and forgive me if this is blasphemy, but I just thought it was incredibly simple. I like the plot itself, and I just wondered why it, like, transcended all of time, and, like, while we're still doing it, mm. you know, centuries later. Because I can understand with other shows, like, there's this theme, or there there's this, like, Lady M is such a tour de force role. And I was like, but what about Comedy of Airs, other than it simply being part of his canon, is still being produced now? And jury is still out for me why that is. Honestly, I one of I was taking notes as I was reading it so I wouldn't forget my thoughts to to share with with all of you listeners. Um the last thing I wrote was like why is the last line the last line what am I supposed to take from this play? <laughs> yeah, I actually I did tear up a little at the end of this play. Um, the Romeo's, person than the us. Romeos are so sad. Yeah. It was very interesting. I did have the thought a couple times reading it of this feels like maybe one of the ones that we're still doing because it's by Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Not, I don't know that it really is significantly head and shoulders above all of the other sort of mix them up comedies in the Elizabethan and Although Jacobean era. I will era. say it was genuinely funnier than I remember. I laughed out loud a few times. I was like, these jokes, a lot of these jokes are still funny jokes. And some of my favorite Shakespeare jokes, period, I realized are from this play. Like just like one-liners that I like. She is spherical like a globe. I could find out countries on her. Like that's the original Yo Mama joke. Yeah, it does feel like uh, several times during this play, Shakespeare's sort of stopping to work on his type five that he's maybe going to put into his other future plays. Oh, exactly. It would also feel very vaudevillian. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell even if I was, even when I wasn't totally getting the jokes or when the jokes hadn't aged in a way that kept them funny, the rhythm changes in the scenes where you're like, oh, we're in joke land now. And we're stopping to be like, here's a setup. Here's a punchline. Here's a setup. Here's a punchline. Even if like, it doesn't really make sense that those characters would stop and be like, how does her breath smell though? Like why? <laughs> when he's like, I'm going to beat you if you don't go do this thing. But first, who just chased you? It's funny. Also, a lot of the humor about like, I get abused all the time by my employer slash owner is horrifying now in um, 2018 to read. So I actually found myself getting like more emotionally invested than I think Shakespeare wanted me to be, mostly in the Dromeo's plight. Mm. Um, Luke, do you have any thoughts about... Slavery? Our, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, about our, um, sort of the, the power dynamics in this play between the, the Antiphili and the Dromeos. Antiphilises. I mean, Antiphilis. nothing novelty other than like, I don't know why I'm supposed to, I don't know. I think you're supposed to, at least when I did it at University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like they're, they're like, partners and their friends and they're like two teams of like the dromeos and the tifli and i'm like but you're not a team you're wait now question are you saying like the syracusian pair is a yes. team okay yes. cool yes um because they have like this rapport yeah this yeah. rapport i'm like but it's slave and slave owner and i just couldn't in my modern modern day mindset like get past that get, yeah get past that like i just don't or like 
there's where it's like, oh, we like love each other and this is funny and like we have a nice like little tete a tete. But then like Dromeo gets beaten up because when he you know finds the wrong Antiphilus. And then at the beginning, the thing that I'm just like, what is what? Forgive me. What's the father's name? How do you pronounce the father's name? Like I've been pronouncing it Aegean. I made a mental note that I was gonna Google how to actually pronounce it before we started recording, but I did not. Okay, so we're are... gonna go with Aegean. Okay, great. I didn't know, so I just called him Egg. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we were calling him Egg from now on. I like that very much. Okay, amazing. So anyway, Egg is like he's not allowed allowed to be in the land, and then he's like, oh, but my poor sad sob story. Please give me time. And his sad sob story is he had twins, m- mazel, and then <laughs> and then a poor woman also had twins, and Eggy, being an affluent man, instead of being like, I'll help this woman out, or like, I'll go get her to shelter, or I'll foster her kids, is like, I'll buy your kids for slaves for my two boys. Yup. I'm like, can, what? <laughs> and then, the, then they're like... Oh, that's such a sad story. Yes, we will give you 24 hours to find the, you know, a thousand, whatever the monetary about galleons. Yes. I don't know. And, <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? Why? I don't understand. Amazing. And so anyway, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, okay. I, I really think it does. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just was going to say, I feel like I just want to let you roll for a second. What are some other just thoughts and feelings about comedy of errors that you have or have had? Uh-huh. Oh, wait, uh, one other tiny shout out to the production you were in, though, regarding Egg is I do love that he gave him puppets. The, the director gave Egg puppets. So when he was explaining about his sons, he like just kept taking out these little puppets to like illustrate his story Ooh. and he kept running on and like trying to tell his story to people and being chased away I'm saying there were a lot of redeeming things about this that I didn't appreciate at the time I will say that worked really well because from my understanding in most iterations of of the play his Eggie's whole um, Fang. backstory is a very long monologue at the very beginning to yeah. set up the play and how uh, the production I was in did it, cut that monologue up in like five different sections. Oh, that's funny. And then funny. Egg came on periodically to just continue on, but he continued on with puppet shows. And four Shakespearean plebeians, like myself at the time, arguably like myself now, I really appreciated it and it was easier no, it was to fun. understand. And it also like invested you a little bit more in his search because the way that we usually get it, he's at the very top of the play and the very and, end of the and play. That's it. And yeah. that's all, whatever. I have some thoughts and feelings about yeah. that. But, um, um, but what, yeah, what, what, what are some other just like, you know, Diana tell us about comedy What else? Um, I think there's some salute shaming in it with oh, the yeah, cordon. Sure. I'm like, women against women never works because... What what is I'm so bad with names, listeners. I'm so sorry. I'm I just think of her as Cece. I just picture all the actors for my production. Cece, yeah, like the Adriana. name Adriana. Adriana hates the courtesan, and I'm like, your husband's the one who is doing the do, not the courtesan. It is not her fault. It is her profession. Even if it was not her profession, she's allowed to do what she wants. Blame the man. Always blame the man, listeners. Anyway, so that <laughs> always, like, really bothered me. And obviously, like, the slave-owning thing really bothered me. And the Nell thing, Nell is what Danielle was talking about with the whole, like, 
it, she she's so fat. She's the world, and I can find all the countries. Yeah, I they can't make quote a like lot of, They make a lot of. They're they're funny, but they're mean. They're just, just yeah. Mean. I don't know. Like maybe it's mean. Maybe it's I'm mean. just like too like entrenched in PC culture now. I don't think so because I can be crude as fuck too. <laughs> but I'm reading it, and I'm just like, wow, this is just. I don't know. I I'm like this is a male's play. Like I understand why this was written by a white dude way back when because it's if it's not exalting slavery, it's just like making it very It's chilling with it. Chilling and hegemonic and like infidelity is like so normal and like I think I mean feel free to disagree, but like I thought they kind of troped the women to where like Adriana is just like this like this angry, you know, woman and then her her younger sister, like, in all the mismatch when she, quote-unquote, falls in love with her brother-in-law, even though it's the other twin, she's just like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. I'm so fragile. This is... I like him, but I'm like, really, guys? It's called Layers. See, Can we that's not? interesting, because well, I don't think yeah, that's really what I the disagree. text is. <laughs> this might be... I don't remember the production that you're in that well, but it, the, the language of the, the scene between her and, and the, the wrong Antipholus is she was like, don't be into me, be into my sister. Well, and not and if you're going to be into me, just like do it quieter. She doesn't even just say be into my sister. She says just pretend. I actually think it's really interesting because yeah. one of the problems I had with this play was that they're asking us to laugh at these things like women, am I right? And like the slaves, how funny, while also giving all of, especially uh, Dromeo of Ephesus, all of his languages, my life is horrible. I'm beaten constantly. I hate my life. And it's like... Hard to think that even then audiences could watch that and just be like, oh, it's all goof-em-ups. And also Adriana has, like, Adriana is a white feminist straight up because she's horrible to Dromeo and to the courtesan, as you pointed out. But she has that whole monologue being like, women are oppressed. I hate this. Why do I have to, like, beg for affection for my husband? Why is he so much more powerful than me? And Luciana has all of these weird sort of, like... Yeah. Luciana's very much a, well, you know, she's, she's like... This is just how it is. Yeah, she's, like, Tommy Lauren or whatever. She's, like, yeah, I mean, it sucks, but it's fine, and I'm a pretty girl, so nothing bad is ever going to affect me, so let's just play along with the patriarchy. And there's, and like, so much yeah. acknowledgement of the toxic power structures, but then they expect us to turn around and, like laugh at making fun of Nell for being fat or laugh at the Dromeos being beaten. And it's just kind of like, Shakespeare, if you want us to be laughing at all of these people, don't make them a little bit sympathetic. Well, that's the other thing is that it was also surprising for me. So because I'm a, a garbage person and an actress, um, <laughs> those things go together. As we, I've been rereading this plays, I've been keeping a sort of, of list of monologues because I feel like friends are always asking for monologues mm-hmm. and now I'll have my own handy database that I made. But there were a surprisingly large number of like good monologues in this play, especially for women. Yeah, And it was interesting that in a play that like you guys have both said is so male heavy or male perspective heavy we actually do get these at least two if not three or four like very i would say fully developed characters of these women like i understand the perspective of both luciana and uh adriana and that they're different that and but the you see the circumstances that have led them to believe the things they believe. And also you can see like where they have a point and where they don't. And it's like, it is interesting to be like, oh, I can't just laugh you off because I actually think you're a person. 
Yeah. Yes. Maybe this is my own shortcoming. More likely than not it is. But I feel that both of you speak about it so, like, eloquently and intellectually and imbue so much nuance and importance into a work. And then I read it and I'm like, what? What? Where is this? <laughs> like, what's going on? I, I feel that all the time. A lot of time with Shakespeare. A lot, honestly, a lot of time with just, like, classical or heightened text. Because I love the contemporaries because I am a plebe that way. No. And I was like, oh, Danielle should just write comedy of airs. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, I just, like, need a little earpiece. Because I'm like, how do you... The way you speak of it makes me want to be like, oh, I, I want to go read it right now. <laughs> and I'm, Yay! <laughs> we did it. <laughs> you know, you did the damn thing. Yeah, I don't know. I just... That's it. No, I end, appreciate end that. End of comment. No, I think that's an that's, important... Thank you. I think that's a, also an yeah. important perspective to bring because, like, we're both nerds, clearly. We are nerds, very much. Um, but I also think, especially with plays like Comedy Vares, that, like, look, it ain't Hamlet. Like, it's not one of the Shakespeare plays that people are walking around talking about as the greatest play ever written, or mm-hmm. should it be? And I think it's also fair on a certain level to say that you come to this play and you read it and you're kind of like, welp, that... That made me want to, tried to make me laugh at women and poor people and fat people, and then the play ended. Yep. Hmm. Maybe try again next time, Bill. I think that's a very fair perspective to bring to Comedy of Errors. Yeah, and I and I think that probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, and that like most plays, or and and like a lot of Shakespeare, I think particularly his comedies, the way that it ages is so weird. Right. Um, I feel like you have a choice as a production of like you can dig into the stuff that's shitty, but you're probably going to lose the comedy, which is why we watch the play. Mm-hmm. Or you can dig into the comedy, but you have to bear in mind these problems for a modern day audience. Because if you don't acknowledge them, we're going to walk away feeling like, uh, did you just try to make me laugh at, like you said, at, at slaves and women? Like, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on that note, Luke, is there anything that you did find funny in the comedy of errors? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, yeah, comedy of errors as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, despite the fact that I just chastised it, <laughs> I do think that the whole is Dromeo's monologue talking about Nell, um, where he's just like describing all of her like. Flaws. Physical flaws mm-hmm. is funny. Like it's, it yeah. like it is That's simple. how I feel. Like it is witty. Even if sometimes you have to acknowledge like the bully is being a bully, but at least they're being like witty about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, all right, you can't be you can only be mean if you're mean and funny. And he was mean and funny. So and I it also think like the, the teeniest, tiniest redeeming factor of it is that one of the Dromeos theoretically is totally here for it. So like True. the Dromeo mm-hmm. she's chasing is like, fuck, this woman is disgusting. She's like smelly and awful. But the other one is like, that's my lady. So at least she gets what she wants in the end, I guess. And I do. I mean, it's it's the most. This is. I'm, I'm being a Dromeo apologist. I know, I'm, I'm being a, I'm being a Dromeo of Syracuse apologist. But I do like that in the very last scene, the beautiful little half a page between the Dromeos that honestly made me choke up a little. Uh, Dromeo of Syracuse is like, oh, yeah, I ran into your wife. I guess she'll be my sister now. Yeah. And like, it's the the smallest modicum of respect he could give to her. But it's, you know, at least that's there. 
Yeah, and also, like, to be fair, he's like, why is this woman chasing me and calling me her her dude? I just met her, and I think she's gross. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a Dromeo apologist. And I do, whatever, like, but. I appreciate how campy and slapstick it is, because if, even if for a modern day, if you are like me and don't particularly enjoy, you know, pieces of that time mm-hmm. or don't necessarily subscribe to the, the humor or the stakes of that time... Even if it's just from an analytical perspective, it's just interesting to think of like, oh, that was considered farcical comedy Mm -hmm. at that time. Like the mindset of audiences and the demographic at that time was this, which just is an interesting like psychoanalysis. Mm. And to where if it's like a like Hamlet or like a period piece or something along those lines where I'm supposed to like invest my heart and soul in it. There's more of this barrier for me because I don't immediately subscribe to it. Of Like I can't give myself all the way to this play that like I think is archaic or I think is old or I literally don't understand because I don't have a Shakespearean trained mm-hmm, ear. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to comedies like uh, Comedy of Airs or, or Midsummer Night's Dream, it's like I can just more enjoy the like sparkle on the waves rather than like delving into the depths of the sea oh that's a beautiful metaphor that's lovely thank you (laughs) yeah um yeah so i i think it's just like easier to as you guys were saying just like sit back and enjoy and be like oh that's funny the now monologue's funny i get that that and then the things that i don't necessarily get i can just like gloss over and i think you can even get it in the text too like this is a very colorful play Mm -hmm. like if i were like in the literal sense if i were a designer or like a like a set designer or lighting designer like this gives so much opportunity to make it like a mardi gras or to make it like a funky disco or even if you're going (laughs) to set it in the time that it was like we don't have to spin everything yeah i'm you can just see like the extravagance of Mm -hmm. of this world which i think is fun even from like a visual perspective. So I drag it and then I lift it up a little. Yeah, that's that's Beautiful. the second name of our podcast. Um, drag it, then lift it up a little. <laughs> it's just too long to put on a t-shirt. Um, anyway, uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to share with us about comedy bears before we wrap this guy up? Yeah, that's what I shared. That. Great, <laughs> excellent. Uh, Luke, do you have anything, any personal projects that you'd like to plug? Yes. Any personal projects? Uh, yes, I would, actually. I didn't Please know do. this was coming, listeners. Um, <laughs> he just lit up like a Christmas tree. Like a Christmas tree. <laughs> um, I just, um, for the last few weeks, have been releasing some music online. Lovely. I wrote a musical adaptation of Napoleon Dynamite. It is very yes. funny and very good. Um you know, currently in the works of, you know, navigating the legalities to mount mm-hmm. it. But as of right now, the unauthorized <laughs> musical um, has a studio album with 12 songs. You can find them on YouTube. Dynamite, a wicked sweet musical. Give it a listen. It is excellent. excellent. I highly recommend you do so. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Luke. Yes. Thank you, guys. Oh, one last thing. This is yes. my first podcast, Luke's listeners. First How podcast. exciting. Yes, this was his podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, when they asked who I was, I looked out the window away from the microphone. But anyway, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
is the part of the podcast where one of us reads a monologue from the play in a series of funny voices. Danielle, what will you be reading for us today? Uh, this is the Ephesus Antiphilus, uh, or Mary-Kate, uh, speech <laughs> at the end where he basically just sums up the whole play. Yeah. Great. You want to begin? Yeah. My liege, I am advised what I say, neither disturbed with the effect of Midwestern mom. Nor heady rash provoked with raging ire, albeit my wrongs might make one wiser mad. This woman locked me out this day from dinner. Glinda. That goldsmith there. Um, were he not packed with her, could witness it? For he was with me then, who parted me, you know, a good witch or a bad witch, who parted with me to fetch a chain, promising me to bear it to the Jewish grandma. Where Balthazar and I did dine together, our dinner done, and he not coming thither, I went to seek him. In the street I met him, uh, and in his company, that gentleman, there did this perjured goldsmith swear me down that I this day of French. him received the chain, which God knows I did not, for the which he did arrest me with an officer. I did obey and sent my peasant home for certain ducats. He was none returned. Then fairly I bespoke the officer to go into prison with me to my house. By the way, we met my wife, her sister, and Mindy rabble, from Animaniacs. And the rebel more of vile confederates. <laughs> Along with them, they brought me one pinch, a hungry, lean-faced villain, a mere anatomy, a montbeck, a threadbare juggler, and a fortune teller, a needy, hollow-eyed, sharp-looking wretch, living dead man. This pernicious slave... Okay, lady. <laughs> the girl from Brave. Forsooth took him on a conjure, and gazing in mine eye, feeling my pulse, and with no face, as twere out face and me, cries out, I was possessed. Then altogether they fell upon me, bound me, bore me thence, and in a dark and dankish vault at home, there left me and my man, both bound together. Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Till gnawing, with my teeth and bonds in sunder, I gained my freedom, and immediately ran hither to your grace. <laughs> RP English. Uh, I beseech to give me ample satisfaction for these <laughs> deep shames and great indignities. Thank you, my liege. Lovely. Thank you. So, actually, I have a thought about the content of that monologue. Yeah, Isn't that shocking? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> um, I was talking to my mom about the production that she did when I was seven, mm-hmm. which I remember watching, and I remember commenting to my mom about how they beat Dromeo so much, so I guess my opinions have not changed on the play. Um, but she was Adriana, of course. If you met my mother, that makes sense. <laughs> I love you, Mom. Um, but they had this whole um, greeting ceremony that they, like, within the world of the play, everyone in Ephesus did this, like, elaborate, very formal hand gesture to each other uh-huh. every time they met each other in the street so that as the play went on and sort of formality broke down, they would have to do the gesture faster and faster and, like, oh, it cool. would be messier every time. And so then when they had these monologues that were people like describing what had happened throughout the course of the play. They would act it all out and like do all these funny formal gestures like faster and faster and faster and faster. Oh, that's fun. And I think that's like one of the only ways to get through this monologue. (laughs) Yeah, is if you really do have to like recount every bit of it. And also, like, have some sort of physicality of showing how the rules of the world are breaking down. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Jean. Lovely job. Yeah. Oh, thanks. 
that's been our podcast. It's called What You Will, a tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. Um, yeah, and you can get it on iTunes or off of the podcast app on your phone. Uh, we would love it if you would leave us a, a little review. Maybe you Just know, a little one. Maybe maybe a five a little five star review. Maybe a couple words saying how tosses a handful that you of stars. Like, that you like us uh, or you like <laughs> this podcast. Um, also, if you at any point have have not agreed with something that we said or or want to talk about it with us further. We would love to or engage have with you on that. a fun fact to add. Yes. Um, we, we, we would love to uh, to make this a little bit more uh, of a two-way street. So you can always email us at whatyouwillpodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Yes. I, well, I've, I'm Charlotte Aline. It's and me. That's who I you, am. And then who I also am. And is not <laughs> oh. that. No, <laughs> surprise, bitch. <laughs> when Danielle uh, and I were separated at sea, her parents named her after me. <laughs> Charlotte. Uh, you can tell because we're, we're so identical. So I'm Charlotte of Syracuse. And I'm Danielle of Ephesus. I'm Danielle of Syphilis. Just kidding. Is <laughs> that a joke? We didn't make this whole time. No, I'm Danielle of Ephesus. Uh, and we just are so happy that you joined us for this hour. Go to bed. Have you seen the boys from Syracuse? No. I've seen the... Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard the good news? Uh, I've seen the Bomity of Errors, which is like, it's the Q Brothers. It's a four-person rap musical where it's the Comedy of Errors, but faster and with only four people. That sounds potentially (laughs) funny. Potentially an improvement. Yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) And um, No, I've not seen... What is the... The Boy from Syracuse is just a musical of the Comedy of Errors. Probably. I don't know. My dad went to Syracuse. Danielle told me off air not to say that on the podcast because it wasn't interesting. Go my, Orange Men! My friend Rachel went to the Syracuse. Now Syracusians. That's maybe that's maybe they're all college kids and they're all really drunk is what's happening. That would make a lot of sense. Oh, and it's like they can't come over because they belong to different fraternities, fraternities and they're like meeting each other because they're twins going to the same college and then the it's the parent trap, it's but in college tra- with more alcohol. I mean, it's already the parent trap, but if if both Lindsay Lohan's had slaves. <laughs>